0: Praise the Lord. Um, I am the opposite of uh, Brother Nathan uh, in that I always preach with an iPad and I knew we were going up to camp and I thought, man, I'd hate to get up there and not have power or something. So I actually wrote, I haven't written out a sermon in paper, I don't know, <laughs> probably probably five, six years. And so um, I am, I, I, dad asked, said, well, I want you to, why don't you to speak one night, and I thought, "Man, I everybody pretty much going up there already hears me preach a couple times a month." And so, feeling a little, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to give you something old. And so, praying, Lord, give me something new. And the Lord said, "No, we're going to give you something old." And so, we're gonna, we're gonna try to deliver that tonight. Um, Rodney, I got the iPad right there. If I need you, need to control me. Um, so, open your Bibles to the Book of Romans and the twelfth uh, chapter. It's I can't tell you how many times I've heard messages out of this scripture or at least referenced in this scripture. And um, man, Brother Nathan really did a great job today. I so appreciate that word. Let's honor the word of God. We appreciate that. And uh, I've I've looked at that. I I thought it was funny because I recently had been reading there and just thinking about it and I'm trying to dig through some numerology and what does three strikes mean? And I, you're out? I don't know, you know. Um, and, and never really got anywhere with it. And I, I just appreciated that. It really touched my heart. And um, I'm thankful for his ministry and thankful for everybody who's here. I was glad to see we had a couple of new voices in the choir tonight. That was nice. Yeah, I mean, let's give them it. Well, thank you guys for being here. And I just hope that I hope that everybody's blessed. I know every time. We just had the choir thing. what? Last Sunday night, was it? So two weeks ago, yeah, and it seemed like we haven't heard him in a month. I don't know. I loved it. It's awesome. Thankful. Amen. So uh, Romans chapter 12. I got to get there myself. Romans chapter 12, verse one and two. Very very common. Rodney, can you turn up my monitor just a little bit? My voice when I get into the smoke. Well, I don't know because I was telling Nathan I used to go up there and help him a little bit with that camp, and I every time I go to that camp I lose my voice. And we were there a total of maybe seven, eight hours, and I'm already losing my voice. I don't know. I don't know what happens with that, but something about the air. So um, I'm going to try to not yell as much and just teach. And I just want you to receive from the Lord tonight. I feel like that God's Word's able to do what, what it needs to do in our lives. Has anybody ever, ever realized that there are times where somebody's preaching, and uh, you receive something, and you talk to somebody maybe after the service, You talk to them about what they received and it was totally different than what you received. Anybody ever have that happen? It's because God's Word, I love what they're saying tonight, God's Word is everything that we need. And whatever it is your situation is, whatever it is you're dealing with, God has an ability to speak through the Word, whatever is spoken, to that specific need in your life. And I'm grateful for that. So tonight we're going to preach an old message, something that um, I love to think about. And you've heard preached many times ...on this verse, but maybe I'll give you a little new insight, some new thought. Um, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice... holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind... ...that you may prove what is that good, acceptable and perfect will of God. Lord, I ask you tonight that you would help me to deliver what you have given into my heart. And I pray that it would, it would go and do what your word does. It does not return void, but it, is, it accomplishes the thing that you send it to do. And I believe you're going to do that tonight, Lord. And we give you all the praise and glory and everybody say amen. amen. You could divide. And so I, I kind of teach a lot. And uh, kind of going to stay there tonight a little bit. You could divide the book of Romans, if you wanted to, into basically two segments. Chapters 1 through 11 talk about what God did for us in salvation. And chapter 12 through 16 could be defined as our response to that salvation. I want to look at, just highlight what we see in the book of Romans preceding this 12th chapter. So in the first chapter, and we're not going to read all of it, believe me. But in the first chapter, we see the, rec- the rejection of the knowledge of God that produces every vile perversion. Homosexuality and immorality. We see that that is the result of the rejection of the knowledge of God. I don't think it's coincidence that in 1960s when they pulled God out of the schools... And when they pulled prayer out of the schools, when we refused to honor God in that way, that all of a sudden homosexuality began to become far more rampant in our country. Everybody agree with that? Say amen. amen. The result of the rejection of God's laws, of God's things, of Him as the Creator, is that there is going to be every vile and wicked thing being transgressed as the direct result of that. But the Apostle's response in this chapter is exactly exactly what they were singing tonight. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It's not a black man's gospel. It's not a white man's gospel. It's not a rich man's gospel. It's not a poor man's gospel. It's not a Mexican gospel, and it's not an American gospel. But it is a gospel of Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that (laughs) believes. That's Romans 1. Chapter 2, we find that God's wrath is being poured out upon the disobedient ones. Chapter 3, we see very clearly and and so well known that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so God's response to that, we see again in chapter 4 that that works do not justify us before God. What Brother Nathan was preaching this morning, dressing a certain way or doing a certain thing does not justify us before God but believing, which is the action of faith. I don't know if you know this, and and I, I know if you've been around here long, you do, but the word belief and the word faith are the same root word. Faith is the noun and belief is the verb, and we know that a verb means what? Action. So you cannot have faith without having action in your life if it is true faith. We're not justified by works, but the result of faith in our life is the works of God, the works of righteousness, the works of repentance. So believing is not just, hey, you know, I believe there is a God up there, or I believe in Jesus Christ, but what is the action of your life? If you say, I believe in Jesus, and then don't do what he says, you're a liar. And your works reveal your heart. I thought about this because Abraham was found righteous because of his faith. Before he was circumcised, Paul talks about this. Before he was circumcised, he was found righteous because of his faith. But the result of his faith in Christ and faith in God was that he became circumcised because of his faith. And and there's that beautiful picture that works together. Chapter 5, we find that we then are justified by faith. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that where sin abounds, grace is greater. Sin can take you to the extreme depths of despair. But no matter how far you get, grace can always reach you. We find that's God's, re- God's answer, God's response to the gravity of our sin is that He is able to reach us right where we're at. Chapter 6, We know that the wages of sin is death, but that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 7, we find that the law does not produce sin, but it reveals sin. There became this debate about whether or not the law was actually making bad things happen. But the truth is, is all the law does is reveal to us our disobedience to God's word. It's there to make us recognize that we are sinners. It's not there because it produces sin. It's good. The law is not bad, but it, it reveals to us our sinful nature. And it makes obvious our need for salvation. And that's what it's all about. Our dependency on God is what this is all about. That we turn to him for salvation. Chapter 8, God predestines and predetermines that he's going to have sons and he's going to have daughters. He does not predetermine who those children will be. Brother Nathan and I were talking after lunch today about the the absolute catastrophe that Calvinism is upon our our, uh, religious uh, system in America. It's an awful thing because it tells people it doesn't matter how you live, what you do, you're either in or you're out. The truth is God did predetermine. He did predestine that there would be sons, but he didn't say who they would be. In fact, he said to everyone that believeth. So it's not the who. But it's the how. You're not going to He's not determining who's going to have relationship with him, but he is saying that if you're going to have relationship with me, I've provided an opportunity and you are going to become my sons and my daughters and we know then that the things that are happening around us are working out for our good and that nothing really is going to separate us from the love of God which we find in Christ Jesus if we are his sons and his daughters. That's chapter 8. If we were only going to chapter 12, you'd be happy. We'd almost be done. (laughs) Chapter 9, God orchestrates the entire Old Testament in order to bring salvation. The emphasis of this chapter is that God's salvation plan will not be affected by men. It doesn't matter what man does. In fact, Jesus says it this way. The gates of hell shall not prevail Against the kingdom of God. God's plan was was set out from the very beginning. This wasn't plan B. This wasn't an alternate plan. It wasn't a substitutionary plan. But God said, I'm going to author salvation. And then I'm going to come down and play the leading role. I'm the archagon. And I'm going to play the leading role in salvation. I'm going to show my love to men in this way. While they're sinners, I'm going to die for them. I'm going to make it obvious what my love is and what my intentions toward man is. And it does not matter how vile, evil, or corrupt this world gets. God's plan for salvation remains. Man can't stop it. There's nothing we can do to thwart it. Chapter 10 says that if we will confess. Now this is a really important little caveat that we find we see a lot of people now the emphasis becomes on saying certain words getting people to say the prayer I was talking with somebody I forget who it was it was a couple of years ago and they were talking about uh, somebody who was really messed up and they said yeah but we got him to say the prayer and I was like I I just can't think that that's what it's about because confession is the Greek word homologia and that logia is that that reason Or that thought, that logic. And homo, we know what that means. It means same. Really what this word is talking about, what confession means, is that I am lining up what's coming out of my mouth the same thing as what's coming out of my heart. So if I'm saying something out of my mouth that I'm not not really believing and living in my heart, then I have a false confession. But if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead, then you shall be saved. But that confession is about the alignment. It's about the... The getting myself in order, God is authority, and then I'm aligning straight down from him, and I'm getting my life in alignment. That's what confession is. Confession is not going to a priest. It's not saying your faults before somebody. I get tired of people coming to me and saying, you know, I, I need to talk to you, and then they just spew out all the filth of their life. Listen, if you really need help, we're here to help you, but I don't need to know all the gory details of your past. Frankly, I don't want to know. Confession is not about you talking to men, but confess your sins before God. Go to him and say, Lord, I'm trying to get my life in alignment with you. And we find that in the book of Romans in the 10th chapter. And now in the 11th chapter, we find that the deliverer will come out of Zion. And that he's going to bring salvation to every nation. doesn't matter what color your skin is doesn't matter what ethnicity, whether you were religious, whether you were born in the church, or whether you were born in the hood, none of that matters. And that there is going to be a deliverer that's coming out of Zion, and this is God's response to sin. God's response to sin is not to run. God's response to sin is not to hide. I, I wanna, I'm going to say something that I get in trouble with, but not with, not with anybody around here. The whole idea that, that God cannot look upon sin is a ridiculous thought. God responds to sin. His response to sin is not to run. When Adam and Eve sinned, God did not go hide himself. He went looking for them. God's not afraid of your sin. God's not afraid of what you've done. God has two responses to sin. He, ha- he offers salvation and for those who, re- who reject it, He offers judgment. God never runs from sin. God is the sin killer. God is the answer. He is the, he is the solution for the problem of sin. That's 1 through 11. That's what all of this is leading up to. And then we start off the 12th chapter and the first verse, and Paul says, Now, therefore. That's what the therefore is there for. When you see that word, It's what is it there for? Because of everything I've just been talking about, because of this great salvation, because it's given to all mankind, because anybody who wants it can receive it, because there needs to be an alignment with us and God, because there's got to be a reactionary response to the grace of God extended to my life. Because of all that, therefore, I beseech you, This word literally gives the idea of up close and personal. He literally, Paul's almost saying to them in English, he would be saying, let me just get up close and personal with you about this. Therefore, I beseech you, let me bring it right to your front door where you can't even miss this. Let me tell you exactly what it means, what your response needs to be to the salvation that God has offered you. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. I hear so much about salvation these days. I hear salvation being peddled and offered for free. Anybody hear that message? Everywhere. Salvation is freely given, but it's not freely acquired. Salvation costs you everything. Everything. How many times did Jesus give this exact same description when he says, and the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man who finds a treasure in a field, and what does he do? He goes and sells everything in order to buy the field. This is the picture. It's freely given. It's there. God says, here it is. But it's going to cost you everything. Everything you have to receive it. And somehow along the way, We've determined that salvation requires nothing on our part. We went from everything to nothing. Absolutely, there are are those who get focused on works and, and that needs to be something that we guard against for sure. We don't want to believe that somehow we can work our way into salvation But the response to salvation. See, the work of God in our life has to produce a response. And if it does not produce a response, then I would say you did not get it. If you don't respond to God's prompting in your life, then I would say you're not hearing his voice. You're not listening to him. You don't know him. It is his spirit working within us, moving within us, changing us. I thought about this term, living sacrifice. I have never sacrificed anything. Anybody here ever sacrificed? Okay, we're going to have a special altar call for you if you've sacrificed because that's a really weird concept for us. I don't know anybody who sacrifices now. I've never sacrificed anything. But a few years ago, this, this image came into my mind. A few years ago, our bull and Austin's cow, the little ugly one, they had a calf. And that was a bull calf. Little calf and about three months old, Buckley, we determined that he needed to be banded. We needed to remove his parts so that he could no longer reproduce. Does a couple of things. It keeps him from reproducing and it keeps the meat from getting all rank because of all the the chemicals and hormones and stuff flowing through him. We are farmers, ranchers, whatever you want to call us, but we do everything wrong. Because we're really, we're, we're really carpenters and concrete people who have cows. It's really what we are. We don't have a clue what we're doing. In fact, we, I've been in the process of tearing down all the fences I put up a few years ago to hold the cows in and putting up new fences that'll actually hold the cows in. That's what, that's what I've been doing recently. So we have no clue what we're doing. We don't have a squeeze, and we don't have a shoot. And anybody who knows, everybody's nodding. Yeah, because you all know, I don't know. I grew up in Codwood. I don't know you have to have that. I'm going to get cows. We'll we'll get the squeeze and the shoot later on. So we out there, and we've got a a calf that's got to be banded. We've got to castrate the calf. But in order to do that, you normally would have a big area. You would get them in it and you run the, the squeeze or the shoot down and you get them into an alley and then you walk them up into the squeeze. You squeeze in on the side of them. They can't move and you can do whatever you need to do. So alternate method is that you get, we've got some young, strong boys. So we get Rodney, scholarship wrestler, great football player. We get Parker, number one football player in the North State his senior year. We get Coop, who's right there, he's just young, but he's scrappy. And we say, boys, we got to catch him. Now that was a show. It was, we should have recorded, did you record it at all? We should have recorded it. We had the three of them, and I'm trying to get in there too, and I'm old and not fast. And trying to catch him, that's the first problem, is you got this calf, and believe me, he doesn't want to get caught. So he's running, and we're trying to get him in the corner, and and then, you know, you get close, you don't know what he's going to do, and then he runs between you. And so finally, after quite a bit of work, after which the boy said, we are never doing that again after quite a bit of work, they catch him. But that's just half the battle. That little calf, no bigger than this. I mean, just that big, that wide. He couldn't have been more than 100 pounds. We got about 500, 600 pounds on him, laying on him. And there's something about a calf that doesn't want that part of him touched. You can't believe the amount of kicking, (laughs) snorting, frothing. It was literally, I'm not exaggerating, they can witness this, everything they could do to hold him down. All three of them. One on his head, some on his legs, and I'm on the back and I'm trying to work things around there. It's not easy. Really tough. And this so reminded me of a living sacrifice. The first part, he's just getting that sacrifice to the altar. Just catching the sacrifice. And you wonder why preachers and pastors are laboring so hard, and we get done and we're just like, wow, I'm drained. Everything you can do to try to corral that living sacrifice just to get it to where you can catch it. But then once you catch that sacrifice, you got to bring it to the altar. See, there's so many loose thoughts and stray thoughts in your mind. There's so many things battling your sacrifice to God. There are so many things that are captivating your attention, that are drawing your affection, that are trying to keep you running and moving and staying away from being caught. And then once you catch them, you got to put them on the altar. Once I actually get all of my things in order and I get all my thoughts drawn in and I, and I realize I've got to present a sacrifice to God, I've got to bring something to God that is pleasing to Him, well, now I've got to get that on the altar. And God is trying to cut away the carnality of my life that keeps reproducing. He's trying to get in there. In fact, the scripture, without going into detail because of little ears, talks about circumcision, which is not about the flesh. It's about the heart. And it's about the cutting away of the carnality of my life. And God's got me on the altar. And he's trying to cut away the things that keep reprodu- Anybody have a problem with things that keep reproducing in your life? Some flesh stuff that just won't quit. It just won't die. And you think, you know what? I've been down this road before. I have got it licked. And just as soon as you think that, it rises back up and shows its ugly head. Anybody else deal with that? The only answer for the salvation. It's not. The response to us is not, God, thank you for salvation. Now I'm going to keep living to the flesh. The answer is not, God, thank you for salvation. And so I'll kind of, you know, give you some, tri- some tribute. I won't really sacrifice anything, but I'll show up to church. I can do things. I was, again, preaching half a message today, but I was thinking about something I preached a long time ago about all these works that we try to supplement and add in and say, hey, this is important. This God needs to see. And I was preaching that one time and afterwards Brother Aaron talked to me and I love what he said he said that all those things are faithless works faithless works are the works that you can do without faith it doesn't take faith to look a certain way it doesn't take faith just to respond in, in little incremental things it doesn't take faith to walk in the doors of a church doesn't even take faith to pray. There are people praying to all kinds of gods all over this world right now. But it takes faith to respond to the word of God. It takes faith to lay on that altar when everything inside of me is saying, get up and run. When everything in me is saying, no, don't, you don't have to do this. No, go, don't go down this road. Hey, get up and keep living your life just like you were. And God's saying, just lay still. It's hard to kick against the pricks. That's what he told the Apostle Paul. You find out something in life as you get older. Hopefully some of you know this now that you are older. That the more that you fight when God's trying to work on you, the more painful it is. I know that when you have surgery, they always put you under, and that's not just so you can't see, which is a good thing for me. I don't want to watch it, but it's in order that I don't move. When they're working, mom had the brain surgery. You don't want any movement going on there because one slight movement could cause death immediately. Working on your knee or your arm, one movement while they're surgically repairing something would cause paralysis in that. Area. And God's trying to work on us, and we're kicking and we're screaming and we're frothing and we're snorting. And God's just saying, Will you just lay still for a minute? I'm trying to work on you. I'm trying to do something with you. Do we trust God with the knife? Do we trust Him? That when we lay our lives down. See, we think that every time we get on the altar, we think that we're going to die and we are. But we don't believe sometimes that God's then going to resurrect. I love the story of Abraham. When he ends up on the mountain with Isaac, he's going to sacrifice him and he says this. If I slay him, God will just raise him back up again. That's the kind of faith he had. He had the faith that put into action what he was hearing. Okay, Lord, you say go, then I'm going to go. You want me to walk? I'll walk. I don't care how long it is. I don't care how far it is. And so God wants us. The appropriate response to salvation is that we become a living sacrifice. The living sacrifice never totally dies. The living sacrifice has to be represented every day. Every day. If you're going to follow after me, you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to take up your cross and you're going to have to follow me daily. The cross is that death to our flesh. That cross is the death to what we desire, the death to what we want. And while so many people are, Again, stealing what Brother Nathan was saying earlier today, but we we hear about all these people who want to. Well, I'll die for God, but God's not concerned about you dying for Him. He wants you to live for Him. You can't. You'll never die for God if you won't live for God. I don't even believe in the in that perspective of of the tribulation and all that personally, but I hear a lot of people have said in the past, well, you know, uh, well, if we get to tribulation, I'll just make sure I, I lay my head down on that chopping block. Well, if you wouldn't live for God then, you're not going to die for him there. If you won't live for God in the little things, you really think you're going to let God work in the big things in your life? That's when we're faithful in the few, when we're faithful in the home, when we're faithful as a father, we're faithful as a husband, we're faithful in the, in the giving. We're faithful in the living, we're faithful in the job. Then those little things begin to practice and work us up, get us prepared for the big sacrifices, because there's times that God comes along and says, you know what, this is a mess in your life, and I've got to cut it out. It's cancerous to you, you've got to get rid of it. A living sacrifice. The next word is holy, acceptable to God. God. I grew up in a religious environment and I have chronicled this and many of you will understand because you also were there. But I grew up in a religious environment where holiness was about what you wore. Holiness was about how you acted in church. That there were certain manifestations that accompanied holiness. Spirituality was judged by what was external. So you have... Dad's talked about this at times. A woman in church, speaking in tongues, giving prophetic, and then sees my mom down at the store the next day and does everything but rip her head off and call her every filthy name in the book. Bitter and sweet water don't flow out of the same well. But by all marks, she had the marks of holiness on her life because everything looked externally as it should and this is where we develop issues when we, try to th- when we try to take holiness to the external. Now you know what we believe. You know that we believe in presenting ourselves uh, humbly and, and simply before God. And that we should live modest and simple lives before God. But we cannot focus on the external and expect that holiness happens. It is an inward thing that must happen in us. If we don't get holiness in our heart, then the holiness that we suppose is on the outside is false. Spirituality was judged by what was external. I remember being young and and speaking in tongues was seen as a symbol of holiness. Anybody remember those times? It was evidence of some sort of holiness it was the pinnacle. And once you got there, where do you go? I don't know. I've seen it a lot. I don't even know where you go from there. But I got to believe this, that there is so much more to God than that. We don't, we don't negate those things. We don't not believe in those things. But the emphasis for our lives has got to be on an internal holiness that God's trying to work outside of us. Anybody around when the fits of laughter and rolling broke out? That was a clear sign of holiness. The exuberant, crazy, wild things. I was watching a video, and I forgot to save it I was going to show my dad, but it was at some camp meeting, and the roof was fairly low, but probably close to 10 foot high. There was metal trusses and kind of an open air building, and The guy got so blessed, he ran and jumped and was swinging on the metal trusses and screaming to the top of his lungs. Now, if I was there, I would have certainly told him to get down. Because what God's wanting to do in your life is inside. Now, I'm not against exuberant praise. If you watch me, you're going to find that I do that. I jump and I shout and I love love to worship the Lord. But all of these external signs never reveal true holiness. They're not, they're not in any way, maybe any of them wrong, but they don't reveal the true holiness of our heart. What does that word mean? Separate. Simply, it means to separate myself. It means to be set apart for a, for a reason, for a purpose. It's why the holy implements in the, in the tabernacle and in the temple that were used, They were only used for those things. They were holy because they were not contaminated with other things. They were set apart for a purpose. You are set apart for a purpose. That's what holiness is about. And what saddens me, and and I can't get over this because I think about it often, the most exuberant, the most responsive in those times are the people that I don't see serving the Lord at all. Anybody else notice that? Thinking back all the way back when I'm a little kid and there were some people that would absolutely tear it up every time I went to camp. Some of you are laughing because you can remember those people in your camps. Tear it up, man. They're just ruining their brand new clothes, rolling in the floor and all of this stuff. And what? Where are they now? Living for the devil? Have no interest In serving Christ. Have no lasting impact. I'm going to tell you what. If God touches you to the point. Where you are rolling in the floor. Then you better get up out of there. And you better be living for him. If it's that powerful. If it's that important. If it's that moving. There never should be a time where you ever turn around. But I believe this. I've come to believe this in all my years. I've been... Involved in ministry for, since I was 18 and 43, so 25 years, I've come to believe this. God is not nearly as concerned with how high you jump when you feel his spirit, as much as he is how straight you walk when your feet hit the ground. When we want to talk about holiness, it's about the conduct of my life. It's about the conduct of my heart. It's about refusing to allow my heart to be captivated by the world. It's about refusing to allow my attitudes and my actions to be controlled like everybody else's attitudes and actions are. This is so important to God. Holiness. It's acceptable. Say, so I, I want to see God. I want God to move in my life. The scripture says, without holiness, no man shall see God I don't know what all of that means I don't pretend to stand up here before you tonight and be able to define everything that that means for your life I don't but I'm going to tell you this we better be seeking it we better be looking for it we better be saying God I'm laying here on this altar because I want you to make me holy I want to be acceptable to you I want to be pleasing to you Again, I said this, I know I said this the other day, but there's a few people who didn't hear out. When I was youth pastoring, we had all the kids coming. And I realized they were all coming because we had games and we were taking them on trips and we were doing every, every kind of crazy thing, try to get them to come in. Had 100 and something kids. And the church was only about 200 people. and it wasn't, we just had a lot of kids coming. It seemed really cool. It seems like, well, oh, this is, man, God's really moving. And I, and I look out one time and I just realized that of all the kids that are there, none of them know the Lord really just all coming. They're just you know, coming to church. And I remember I begin to say, <laughs> I don't care if you're living for God right now. Now that sounds like a terrible thing for a youth pastor to say. Because if you're not living for God in five years, then what you're doing right now doesn't matter. It just simply doesn't matter. Any man who puts his hand to the plow and turns back is not Worthy of the kingdom. I don't care that you start the race. I don't care that you, that you get all in and you're carrying your Bible everywhere and you got it all figured out. But then five years down the road, you want nothing to do with God. You did not get it. You missed it. I want to preach a gospel that works inside of us so that five years down the road, you're telling me the very things I was telling you five years ago. Because it's become a part of you. It's become ingrained in who you are. Because if you don't get that, young people, you will not grow up and serve God. If you don't figure out who Christ is in your heart, all of your experiences in church and the greatness of the youth choir and every event that we could have will be nothing in your life. It will amount to zero. It will be a good time that you will regret all the time that you spent there and didn't spend in the world if you don't get Jesus. The only thing that is acceptable to God is that living sacrifice. In fact, the apostle says, listen, it's your reasonable service. What's, what's the response that you're supposed to have? Live holy, sacrificially before God, and it's just reasonable. It's not even going over and beyond where you should go. This is just Reasonable. It's just an expected response to what God has done. Now we got to get to verse 2 and then I will be done. It's not as long. And this is acceptable to God. It's your reasonable service. But there's an and which means I've got more to say on the subject. I'm not finished. Do not be conformed. We have got to stop allowing the world to conform us. I read something a couple of weeks ago, and I couldn't find it again, so I don't have the exact details of the names, and you could look it up yourself. Hillsong decided to plant a church in Atlanta, and I think it was in 2019, right before COVID, and the pastor who I believe his name was Collier, I think it was, They made a decision. Hillsong, Brian Houston, all that. Okay, they made a decision. We're going to partner with Facebook. And Facebook said, our mission in this is to change the face of Christianity. Yes! The pro-LGBT, anti-God, pro-abortion Facebook partners with a mega church, not just about online streaming. No, no, no. Not just about building apps for the church. No, about literally conforming that church to where it's palatable for that area. What book, to give you a clue, do we have that already tells us what the church is supposed to look like. Where did we come along. And feel as though. Somehow the world. Should have some input. About what the church. Is supposed to do. We have to stop. Now listen. I, I'm not picking. If you've got your favorites. I'm not picking. But I'm just saying this. We have got to stop. Allowing Bethel. And Hillsong's and Elevation Worship to assign our Christian values. Bill Johnson, Stephen Furtick, Brian Houston, and Joel Osteen do not get to define Christianity. It's not theirs to define. It doesn't matter what they think about it. I know they're doing huge works, but they don't get to define it. God's Word defines how we're to live. God's Word already lays it out. He already instructs us how we should live humbly and peaceably before Him. already tells us. We don't need any additional help. We have to return. I begin to think, and Heather said it the other day, the old Phillips Craig and Dean Dean song, we've got to get back to the basics of life. A heart that is pure and a love that is blind. A faith that is fervently grounded in Christ. We've got to get back to the basics of Scripture. We are going to be inundated for the next 10 years, should the Lord tarry, with every vile thing coming into the church on a major denominational level. You know it's coming, it's already happened in a lot of places. We have to be bold enough to believe the Word of God and say homosexuality is sin. It's not just my belief, it's God's word. We've got to be bold enough to say premarital sex is sin. Well, you don't know the situation. I don't need to know the situation. God's word doesn't change by our situations. We've got to be bold enough to say that drinking alcohol is sin. I can't even believe we're there. We've got to be bold enough to say that pornography is sin. We've got to be bold enough to say that women wearing revealing clothing is sin. We've got to be bold enough to say that effeminate men are sinning. Soft men, it's sinful. God's word, not mine. Well, Pastor Ronnie, that's so hard. I know God's word is tough. It divides. It's scriptural, it's sound. And if we are not bold enough to allow God's word to speak truly, then we are being conformed. But the light penetrates the darkness. The darkness cannot overtake it. It cannot envelop it. It cannot control it. God's light is is going to permeate every crevice and crack so we can be bold in the proclamation of who Jesus is. Nature forms us. Sin deforms us. The schools inform us. The media misinforms us. Prisons reform us. The military uniform us. And the world conforms us. But only Jesus Christ can transform us. It is the power of God to the transformation of my life. You don't just need the form. Some people have the form of godliness, but they deny the power of transformation. His work is not a work of conformation. I don't know if you thought about this. It's not just don't be conformed to the world. You cannot be conformed into the image of Christ either. See, this is why we're always trying to get the cart before the horse and we're trying to get into the image before we ever meet Jesus. But when we meet Jesus and we get on that altar and we say, hey, Lord, I'm here and whatever you want to do in me, you can do it. His power comes in us and he begins to transform us, not conform us. God's not going to sit and argue with you about it. God's not going to waste his time trying to pressure you to do a bunch of things you don't want to do. That's what conforming does. You're conforming. You're squeezing it. You're making it shaped into your image. But Jesus says, if you will let me, I will transform you from the inside out. I'm going to work on that inside. Yeah, the outside may look a little. Anybody feel like your outside looks a little rough sometimes? But God's working on my inside. I used to sing a song when I was a little guy. There really ought to be a sign upon my heart saying, don't judge me yet, there's an unfinished part. You can't see everything that God's transforming on the inside. Don't be so quick to judge what you see on the outside. Because if the inside gets taken care of, and so I I begin to think about this and I'm closing. We have gathered the number that we have. Small group, but we have gathered to hear the word of God. And oftentimes this passage, passage of scripture, almost every time, for some reason I've heard it, it almost always goes to this idea of salvation. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world. It almost always seems to want to attach to the front end of this, but this is the response to salvation. Not one time, but for all time. Because I've found this out, that I've been serving the Lord a long time, and I still need my mind transformed. I've been serving the Lord a long time, but there are still things that God is trying to shape inside of me. He wants to transform some things. And so it's not a brand new Christian. Listen, you've got to stop listening to worldly music. This is what it's about. No, no, it's actually not about that at all. This is about your appropriate response. I don't care if you've been serving the Lord for 30 years or 30 days. The appropriate response is always the same. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. And do not be conformed, but be transformed. So I think everybody probably would agree with me tonight, but I'm going to ask, how many would say, I want the Lord to continue to transform me? I want Jesus to continue to transform me. I'm so thankful that God's not finished working in my life. I'm so thankful that he didn't just save me and drop me off in the pits of hell and say, hey, let's see if you can kind of swim but that he is working in me, he is working through me, he's working on me, and he is transforming me. So Lord, we ask you tonight, why don't you just ask him that? Say, Lord, I need your transformation in my life. God, I need you to work only what you can do. I can try to shape myself into your image, God. And I can just keep repeating the same old fleshly attitudes and the fleshly actions, God. But I need you to transform some things in me. I'm presenting myself before you tonight. And I am asking you, God, that you will transform me. I'm doing my reasonable service. I'm doing what you've asked of me. And I'm asking you that you will transform me then because it's your word. Because it's your promise. I just feel that really strong right now, right where you're at. You don't need to get up. You say, I've been been really struggling with repetitive action in my life. And I'm tired of it. I'm tired of fighting in that area. And I just want God to transform me. I want you to lift your hand to him right now and just let him begin to work on the inside. Just let him work. Let him work right now. Just let him work right now. God, from the inside out. From the inside out. Man, I'm struggling with thoughts. I just got this. I, I process everything through the same paradigm, the same program, I, I see everything, and, and I watch as the world goes around, and it scares me, and it worries me, and, and I'm processing everything there. God wants to transform that thought in your mind right now. To take it out, put something new in you. Just let him do that right now. So take my life.